A man came home from work one afternoon. And coming home from work, he found his three small children outside. In their pajamas, playing in the mud. Some of their toys were scattered across the lawn. Other toys were scattered in the driveway. The door of his wife's car was standing wide open. So was the front door to the house. Surprised at all of this, he rushed inside the house and was confronted with evidence of complete and total disarray. A lamp was knocked over. The TV was blaring loudly on a cartoon channel. The family room was littered with toys and children's clothing, and he goes in the kitchen. And going into the kitchen, the sink is filled with dirty dishes. Breakfast food is spilled all over the counter. The refrigerator doors wide open. Dog food is scattered all over the floor. Well, at this point, he's very concerned. And he's fearing the worst. So frantically, this man who's come home from work starts looking for his wife. He heads up the stairs. He steps over toys. He steps over more piles of clothes as he heads up the stairs. He's worried that maybe she's ill. Maybe an intruder has attacked her. Maybe something serious has happened to her. He rushes into the bedroom and he sees her. Still in her pajamas. She was laying there curled up on the bed, reading a novel. She looked up at him and she smiled at him sweetly and she said, Honey, how was your day? Completely bewildered, he looked at her and said, What happened here today? And she smiled and she answered. She said, Well, honey, you know how every day you come home from work and you ask me what I've done all day long? He said, yes. She said, well, today I didn't do it. In case you don't know, today's the day that's been set aside by the greeting card manufacturers and the florists united of America to honor mothers. It's Mother's Day. And you know, I was thinking about this this week, that Back when I was a boy preacher, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. I know I don't look that old, but it was nearly 49 years ago that I preached my first sermon. I suppose if I told you I was only four, you wouldn't believe it, would you? But back 40, 45 years ago when I was a boy preacher, Mother's Day seemed to be so simple. It, it, it was such an easy Sunday for a preacher. Because we'd all preach sermons filled with warm, happy illustrations and stories about mother and the fireside and things like that. And everybody wore flowers Red if mother was still alive and white if mother had passed on. And after the sermon, everybody went home feeling good. Good about themselves and 
good about the celebration of Mother's Day. But I got a little older. And I saw a lot more of life. And I saw life beat people up from time to time. And the older I got and the more I saw of life, the more it became a bit complicated. Mother's Day even became a bit complicated. Because you see, for some folks, Mother's Day is actually more of a bittersweet celebration. It's not necessarily a happy day for everybody. Mother's Day can be a very sad day for those who've tried hard through the years to become a mother without any success. And to them, having a baby is a dream that's just out of reach. And for them, Mother's Day is a day of more of sadness than it is of joy. Or it may be a day that's tinged with sadness because you're a long way from your mother. Or you're a long way from your children and you can't see each other. You can't express that love face to face. And so Mother's Day for me is is not as simple a day of preaching as it was 40 years ago. But when I think about mothers, I think of a time a long time ago when God visited a little town called Nazareth. And He went to a humble cottage there. And he tapped a young peasant girl on the shoulder. She was no doubt barely a teenager. And God chose this young peasant girl to be the mother of Jesus. Twice in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she's highly favored of God. Now understand something. When Gabriel tapped her on the shoulder that day, Mary was greatly troubled. You see, Mary was engaged to Joseph. And engagements in that far off day and time were a lot more serious than they are today. And as this unique pregnancy of Mary's was going to become known to the public, and you know, there's just no way to hide that sort of thing. Mary faced a lot of troubling possibilities. There was the possibility that Joseph would just totally reject her. And you can already hear the tongues in Nazareth wagging when the neighbors found out Mary was going to have a baby. And all of that no doubt weighed quite heavily on this young girl's mind and troubled this young girl no end. But I don't want to talk about Mary this morning. And I don't want to tell some warm and happy and sweet little illustrations about Mother's Day. I want to talk about Mary's son. Our text comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. And Paul writes there, <coughs> Pardon me. And that pardon me is going to work throughout the rest of this sermon. Anytime I do that. 
Paul writes, that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Folks, that was the object of Paul's life. That he might know Jesus Christ. And for that, Paul sacrificed everything. Country, kindred, honor, comfort, liberty, and ultimately life itself. I notice something there. That statement that I just read, that's our text this morning. Paul said that I may know Him and that I may know the power of His resurrection. That's not the prayer of an unconverted sinner. That's not someone praying that they might know Jesus and be saved. That declaration follows a previous statement in verse 9 where Paul says that I may win Christ. Paul's longing is the desire of someone who enjoys the full conviction of knowing his sins have been pardoned. You listening? It's only the person Jesus has saved that can feel that desire. That I may know Him. Now here's the question. Does that surprise you? That a saved man like Paul would have a desire like that? Perhaps it does on the surface. But if we stop and we think about it, our astonishment is taken away. I want you to go back with me this morning with a little bit of sanctified imagination and with an eye of faith. And I want you to imagine your living in the age of the Roman emperors. And using that sanctified imagination, I want you to see yourself as those Roman soldiers in all of their glory and regalia come and they capture you. And they drag you from your native country and you're sold as a slave. And you get back to Rome and you're whipped, stripped, branded, imprisoned, and you're treated with shameful cruelty. And finally the day comes that you're appointed to die. You're going to the amphitheater. You're going to make a holiday for a tyrant who's the ruler of Rome. The Colosseum is filled. The people are gathered with delight and anticipation. And there's tens of thousands of people there in the arena. They're looking down from the sides of the Colosseum. Some are sitting in the nosebleed section. And you stand in the middle of the arena. You're alone. And you're naked. And all you have is a single dagger in your hands. That's it. That's a poor defense against gigantic beasts. And then you hear it. You hear the sound of a 
giant, massive door being drawn up by machinery. And from the caverns beneath the Colosseum comes the King of Beasts, a huge lion. And there you are in the middle of the arena with nothing but a dagger, and you've got two choices. You can use that dagger and you can kill that lion, or you can be shredded to bits and pieces and have your blood soak into the dirt of the Colosseum floor when that lion tears you to to smithereens. And you know something. You know that this fight is a fight that's more than you can handle. And standing there seeing that line and looking at that dagger, you know. You know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. Those terrible teeth are going to grind your bones and drip with your blood. And you tremble. And your joints are loosed and you're paralyzed with fear. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, unknown to you, something happens. A deliverer appears. A great unknown comes from among the crowd. And he confronts this savage beast of prey. He does not cower and he does not tremble at that roaring lion. Instead, he leaps upon that lion with a terrible fury until like a whipped cur, that lion slinks toward his den, dragging himself along in pain and fear. And the hero lifts you up. And as he lifts you up, he smiles into your bloodless face. And he whispers in your ear. And he says, rejoice, because you're free. Now, if you took the journey with me just now, if you were in that position, wouldn't you want to know who it was that delivered you? Like one of those old Lone Ranger TV shows, wouldn't you want to know who that masked man was? Wouldn't that be your first question as the guards took you to the open street in your freedom? Taking your first breath of fresh air as a free man or a free woman, wouldn't you want to say, who was that that delivered me? Who was that man that saved me? I want to thank him. But no one tells you. No one informs you who it was that saved you. Instead, You're gently led away to a great mansion. And there, your wounds are washed and healed with a most powerful ointment. You're dressed in the finest clothing. You sit down to a feast like you have never seen before. You sleep on a mattress that's like nothing you've ever experienced. And the next morning when you wake up, you're taken care of by servants. They guard you. They minister to you. They take care of your every need and your every desire. Day after day, week after week, your wants are supplied. 
you're treated like a member of the aristocracy. There's nothing you ask for that you do not receive. Be honest. Wouldn't your curiosity grow until it ripened into an almost insatiable craving? You'd take every opportunity to ask the servants that were waiting on you hand and foot, tell me, who does all this? Tell me who my benefactor is. I must know him. Let me ask you, have I imagined here this morning emotions that would be unnatural? I don't think so. It is because Jesus loves me. And because Jesus gave Himself for me that I want to know Jesus. It's because He shed His blood for me that my soul desires a fuller acquaintance with Him. The great tragedy of our day and time and of every age There are so many people that are content to live never knowing Jesus Christ. And I'm not thinking especially about the alien sinner or the ungodly or the profane at this point. I'm thinking about saints of God that are outer court worshipers. Folks that are strangers to a burning, internal, insatiable desire to know Jesus. Remember the words of David in Psalm 42 and verse 1. David said, As the heart panteth after the water's brook, so panteth my soul after Thee, O God. My soul thirsteth after God, the living God. The heart that he refers to there is the H-A-R-T. The finest of the herd of the red deer. And David said, as the red deer panteth. As the red deer has this longing, insatiable desire for a drink of the cool, refreshing mountain stream after being heated in the chase. In that same way, my soul is panting after You, God. And for your refreshing grace. David says in that 42nd Psalm, I want to be pleasing to God. I want to know God. I'm panting. Can you see a a massive of a deer, this deer that's been chased and thirsty and winded? The desire that deer has for a cool drink of water? Picture that and you've got a picture of the desire that David has to please God. Yet, there are those in our day and time who have no panting to know the Lord. Folks that say with Paul that I may win Him, 
that I may be found in Him. They want that. But this higher wish, that I may know Him, that higher wish is not stirred in their hearts. How many are there who are content to know Christ's historic life? They read the Gospels and their charm with the perfect beauty of the history of Jesus. They know all the incidents of His life from the manger to the cross, but they don't know Jesus. Folks that know the life of Christ, but don't know Christ the life. They admire His way among men. But they don't see Jesus as the way to the Father. And yet that was His declaration in John 14 and verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then there are others that know Christ's teachings. And they prize His teachings. But don't know Him. <coughs> there are folks that knowing His doctrine and knowing His teaching, they're ready to go anywhere and debate anyone, anytime on any of the doctrines of Christ. And everything He taught is dear to them. And they're well instructed in the doctrines of Christ. But they don't really know the heart of Jesus. There are those that know His example. They know His sacrifice. But they don't know Jesus. Folks, we cannot stop short of knowing Jesus in our spirituality. And yet, how many are there this day in our world, in our community, who have heard of Christ? And that's enough. How many have read of Jesus? And that satisfies them. It's not enough for me. And it should never be enough for anyone. Paul did not say, I have heard of Him on whom I have believed. And neither did Paul say, I have read of Him on whom I have believed. What Paul said writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12 was, I know whom I have believed. We must not be content. And we must not be satisfied until we know Jesus Christ. You see, knowing Jesus means to be acquainted with what He does. And I'm acquainted with Jesus as a cleanser. I know that He has cleansed me from the stain of sin. 
Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins. When I think of Jesus Christ humbling Himself to come, and He dwelt among men, it means the most to me when I realize that Jesus humbling Himself and coming and dwelling among men made it possible for my sins to be forgiven. I know Jesus as my haberdasher. My clother. Because Jesus has clothed me with a garment of righteousness. And I know Him as a shepherd because I'm one of His sheep. And because I know Jesus Christ, my life has a purpose and it has a plan. You see, in spite of numerous achievements, mankind is often like a cork bobbing on the water. Oftentimes we leave little more behind when life is over than you leave behind when you dip your finger in a glass of water and remove it again. For all of mankind's achievements and all of mankind's advancements, modern man often leads a life that's void of any real purpose and any real meaning. For those who come to know Jesus Christ, for those who will let Him, for those that will yield to Him, Jesus can change this meaningless, purposeless manner of living to a rich and meaningful experience. Because you see, to know Jesus brings peace of mind to our lives. That's one of the most elusive and yet desired achievements of our day and time. The promises of God constitute a foundation upon which a man can build a life. A life that's free from fear. And a life that's free from anxiety. Oh my. That's not to say our world is not a dangerous world. It is. What it is to say is, the promises of God enable us to face danger without being overcome by it. You remember what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 4? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What's going to happen then, Paul? And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts through Christ Jesus. But then one other thing that's so special about knowing Jesus is to know that He's preparing my eternal home. One of the last things Jesus ever said to the apostles, He had eaten the last supper with them. 
And He told them. It's recorded in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto Myself. That where I am, there you might be also. He's preparing that mansion for me. When temptations threaten to overwhelm us, when periods of discouragement come in our lives, it's a great help and a great comfort to think of our Lord Jesus Christ as preparing a heavenly home for us. Because what it does is it gives to us a renewed realization that we are important at times when perhaps we feel insignificant and worthless. Do you know Mary's Son? Do you know Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you know about Him. I'm asking, do you really know Him? I wish, I would to God, that I really knew how to introduce Jesus to people today. Because you see, if you've never come to Christ, then for you, Christ has not come. And so I would beg you to accept Him today and know the joys of being a Christian. Or maybe you've done that, but haven't lived for Him. I wish. And actually over the last 48 years or so, I've wished more than once that I really knew how to make Jesus Christ real to people. To make Jesus real to the point where folks would take His death for sins seriously. To make Jesus real to the point that folks would take their responsibilities to Him earnestly. To make Jesus real enough that folks would pant like the heart to know Jesus Christ. Paul said in our text that I may know Him. Jesus says, come unto Me. It's His invitation as we stand in what we say.